0: I've been going through this phase where, um, when you're thinking about something, you can't help but see it everywhere. You've experienced that. The other, the other places I've experienced it in other places in my life as well. Like when my wife and I needed a new car, and you start looking at new cars, and you're looking at Honda Civics, and then you you go out into the street, and then all you can see is Honda Civics. You don't see any other cars except Honda Civics. Right, you have that phenomenon, right? You get locked into something, and then you're, you, you get like laser-focused on it, and it just seems to be everywhere. So we've been talking about this idea of pursuing, and where to pursue peace. And it's amazing as to where the word pursue shows up, and how often it does. It was on my phone this morning in an article on one of the sports feeds that I, that I look at from time to time. Uh, there's an there's an article written on pursuing athletic immortality <laughs> But then I also saw a billboard earlier in the week too about pursuing your life's goals by getting a degree from a particular local college Everybody's in pursuit of something I think we will we'll admit that we may not wake up in the morning and say today. I'm gonna go after but some of us may We may not wake up and say, what are my pursuits going to be today? But that which actually gets us out of bed is that which is what we pursue. It might be a new job. It might be a house or a spouse. It might be a personal goal. It might be getting out of this job and get to retirement. And these things aren't bad are they worthy of pursuing? Maybe so. Should it be ultimate? We learned last week that what we are to pursue as a united body of Christ is that which makes for peace. Peace. And we know, you hear the word peace in the Bible. It's not John Lennon, imagine peace. It's shalom, profoundly deep roots in the scriptures. And shalom is holistic. It's whole body, its whole family, its whole culture. When you wish peace upon somebody's household, you're wishing them not only good health, but you're also wishing them good marriage, good children, good vocational life, good society. It's huge. And Paul says that's what we ought to pursue. We are to pursue that which makes for peace. And we ask that question. How much of our lives is actually given to an intentional moving toward making peace? One of the ways that we do that, as we saw, is that we are to welcome one another, or as the other translations say, we are to accept one another. Meaning, you don't turn a blind eye to all differences. One of the mantras of my life is to be welcoming without necessarily condoning All are welcome to come to New York Baptist Church. But because all are welcome to come to NDBC, it does not mean that whatever it is that you bring to NDBC is going to be condoned. If it's out of sync with the Word of God, we're going to point that out, but we're going to do it in a welcoming, hospitable way that invites others into the love of Christ. Are we okay with that? We all right with that? So we are to welcome one another, we're to accept one another, to receive one another kindly, hospitably, especially those who are weak in faith, as we saw last week, not to quarrel over opinions. Now I ask you, if I full stopped right here, closed in prayer, and said, now go and do, we would revolutionize the culture. Because... There are those in this room right now, including the big kahuna that's looking at you, who struggles pretty mightily to be patient with, yea, to accept those who have different opinions than I do. And to hold an opinion is not a sin. I would hope that you would all hold opinions, that you all all have something that you believe is worth getting worked up over. And, And then... You come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and you realize that if your opinion has become a law and it's dividing people, it's sin. Have your opinion, don't make it a law, and throw it out the window if it's creating division between you and another brother. But Paul leans on the strong here, as we talked about last week. He leans on the strong here and he says we are to accept the weak in faith, meaning when you have an issue that's in front of everybody and it's not a central gospel issue, those who have not yet matured to the point of seeing that they don't have to hold on to that, we who are free, if you please, are to accept them. Now, we're obviously talking the first century, and in Rome here, we're talking an issue regarding the Mosaic Law. And there are some who are still only able to eat vegetables. They can't bring themselves to eat meat that may have been sacrificed to idols in in an idol temple. And Paul says, no, 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 you're free. In Christ, you're free to eat whatever you want. Remember, Peter had a hot mess with that until until the big white sheet in Acts chapter 10 came down on him full of unclean animals, and he was told to eat, and Peter says, nuh-uh. And God said, "Yah, huh and it transformed Peter. Transformed him. And I asked the question last week okay, so for you and me, it may not be shellfish, may not be do I have to worship on Sunday, another mosaic issue, but it may be something else that's more germane to the 21st century. And I'm standing here right now looking right at you and I, I have the categories right here in my head and I know that if I let them go from my head to my mouth and I set them out right, 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 right now, backs would stiffen in this room. And that's the point. What could I say right now with regard to an opinion that you have that would make your back stiffen? That's the point. That's exactly the point. So then, Paul Paul wrote, as we saw last week, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. That's 1419. This is all by way of introduction. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. One of the writers that I'm reading on the book of Romans, this is his favorite verse in Romans. Romans fourteen nineteen. So then, let us make pursue. Let us pursue, focused, that which makes for peace and upbuilding. And it's haunted me. For two weeks, I've walked around, walked around, talking to myself. Is that what you do, Mark? Is that what you model for the people, Pastor? Do you pursue peace and upbuilding, or do you like to win an argument? or to disparage people who are on the other side of the argument. We're wired for it, wired for it. That, too, is part of the point. Our text today, as you heard Moise read in his eloquent way, Romans 15, 1 to 13, continues, this major theme of Paul that began back in 14. We stated it negatively last week. Namely, the theme was division hinders mission. Paul's getting after this. It's the longest section of Romans, 14 and half of 15. He goes on about this. And as I've said repeatedly, some believe this is the reason why Paul wrote Romans. He had to lay out his gospel to prove his mettle, if you please. And then he gave him his traveling itinerary, which we'll look at, God willing, next week. But then he also realized that though he could check off the theological doctrine boxes, he also realized that if he wanted to continue to evangelize the unreached rest of the world in that day and age, he needed Rome. But he also knew that they, over matters of opinion, they were going at it like cats and dogs. And he said, we can't have this. You need to get that aside because we've got bigger fish to fry. Big pun intended. Nobody's getting it. Nobody got the pun, fry fish. Okay, never mind. If you have to explain it. So negatively, we said division hinders mission. So this week, I want to put it a positive way for you because it's going to come right out of this passage. The positive way of saying it is like this. Those welcomed by Jesus welcome others to Jesus. That's a good sentence, right? You can go to sleep now because if you take that home, you're okay. I prefer you not go to sleep But that's the theme. That's what we're going to unpack in these verses right here. Those welcomed by Jesus, all Christians. If you're a Christian, you've been welcomed, you've been accepted by Jesus. And because of that acceptance, you ought to welcome others to Jesus. Yes, even those who annoy the snot out of you. Republicans... Except Democrats. Ooh, he went there. Democrats except Republicans. Because you know what? It's got nothing to do with the gospel. And if you think it does, we have a lot to talk about. Two parts this morning, quite easily. There's the welcome command, which actually is a continuation from chapter 14. There's the welcome command, that's verses 1 to 7. And then in verses 8 to 13 is the welcome confirmation. Those words are right in the text. First, the welcome command. We're commanded to do this. It's not an option for the Christian believer and then the welcome confirmation. Paul is not going to just plop it out there. You know how Paul rolls, right? Paul's going to give you the command, and then he's going to give you six, seven, eight verses of nothing but Scripture to show you this is what I'm talking about. And that's exactly what he does. Just literally just proof texts. Boom, 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 boom. From all three major sections of the Hebrew Bible. Let's look first at the welcome command. Continued because what I basically did in the first five minutes here, ten minutes, however long it's been, has been a recap of what we were at last week, because Paul's going to zip right through into chapter 15. He didn't know it was chapter 15 2,000 years ago, but here it is now, chapter 15. It's the same argument continued. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please Ourselves. So the platform upon which the mission of God is built is the church of God. God's plan is the church. It's not the parachurch. It's not you zipping around to five services a week because everything's online now. God's mission platform is the local church of which you are a part. And to the degree that you pick and choose and go here and go there and watch this and go over there weakens the testimony of the place where you put down your stake and said, this is my family. It does not mean, because I know I have to put this fire out right now, it does not mean that I can't watch so-and-so on Sunday nights. It does not mean that I can't dip in and see what such-and-such is doing. But what you have to press against is this idea that I have choice, that I can shop, that I can buy, that I can reject, that I can get the music here, I can get the teaching there, I can get the singing there, that kind of thing. You would no more do that than you would live in three families. I said this to the elders this week. We talked a little bit about this. I had a conversation with Moise about this this week and talked about it. You switch the metaphor of church to family, and it, it kind of strengthens the point that I'm making. It would be an anathema, and I'd be run out of town and never allowed to be back in the ministry if, if, if in a few minutes I announced, as by way of illustration, that... I was going to take a second wife. Funny, not funny. And I felt it was perfectly right for me to live full lives in two families. Every single person in this room would go, that's just dead wrong. And you'd all be right. So here's the question. If the scriptures do do speak as clearly as they do, of the New Testament local church being the family of God, why in the world would you entertain a second wife? That's the power of membership. You say through thick and thin, this is my family. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, that cousin of mine who sits two rows in front of me is as annoying as the day is long, but you can't bounce the cousin out of the family. And we all know, many of us know from firsthand experience, to try to avoid the annoying cousin only makes the dysfunction of the family greater. I ruffle a lot of feathers when I get going on this. And I often wonder why. One of my life's goals between now and when the Lord takes me home is to clarify as biblically as I possibly can the importance and the centrality of the local church to the mission of God. You commit and you stay. Unless there's immorality or illegality or heresy, those are the exceptions that prove the rule. The platform upon which the mission of God is built is the church of God, unified, unified. Division in the church of God hinders the mission of the church of God. We are therefore commanded to welcome, to accept one another into the body of Christ. We who are strong, those who are free, I'm free to eat meat. I'm free to talk with people who have diametrically opposed opinions to mine. Have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Paul, speaking as one who's strong here. Those who are still bound in conscience and we're not to please ourselves. Hey, look, I'm free. I've got my opinion on this. I know that I'm right. I don't have to listen to you any longer. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you absolutely have to lay aside your strong opinion and listen to that so-called weaker brother. Now, I'm going to ask you gently again, think about how revolutionary what it is that I'm teaching to you right now, because I don't see it on display in the local church right now. I see exactly the opposite. I see churches just ripping in half. I see denominations just ripping in half, and they've got nothing to do with the centrality of the gospel. Politics has replaced Christianity. not to please ourselves. That's your entire nature telling you that you are number one. Here's the word of God telling you that you're minimally number two. Feel how hard it is not to have as your default mode pleasing of yourself. It's painful. It's painful. It's painful in my marriage, the, the micro church, the family. When I have to serve my wife and I don't want to, or worse, I don't like it. Now, granted, thankfully, those moments are not often, but they're there. And Kate will tell you she sees the ugly side of me when she asks me to do something at the inexact moment, and I let it come out. And I'm directly violating right here, right now, what I'm preaching to you. Full disclosure. And I'm guessing, if we're willing to disclose, there ain't many of you in the room who don't know what I'm talking about. Not to please ourselves. In other words, the strong, watch this now, the strong lay aside their rights. They do so on behalf of the weak within their fellowship. So my wife doesn't perfectly time and say it exactly the way that I want her to a certain request and I go off on her. What have I done? I've asserted my rights and I've hurt her. because I love myself more than I love my wife. No, no, no. The call of the gospel and the power that I have in me by the Holy Spirit says, Ronsley, shut your mouth, die to yourself, get an attitude adjustment, and serve her. And all the wives in the room are going, "Mm-hmm." But watch—it's more. It's more. It's more than that neutrality. It's almost neutral. Lay aside. Okay. So I'm going to lay aside my rights. Hmm. Okay. I'm obeying the. I'm obeying the Bible. I've laid aside my rights. God's thrilled with that because he's going to catch me. He's going to check me. Verse 2, let us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Oh, so see, I can't get away with just laying aside my rights. He comes with 15 too, and he says, no, 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 no. He says, it's not just a neutrality. It's not, it's like the Ten Commandments, right? It's not just not murdering somebody. That each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And the neighbor here obviously is a, another brother or sister in the body of Christ, but it's got an expansive view to it. So my, the command that Paul puts to me in 15.2, vis-a-vis continuing this picture of my wife, is that I should please her for her good to build her up. Do you think my grousing at her built her up in the faith? Said, this is the Christianity that you're supposed to be modeling? I don't want it. Why? Because I'm number one. And I very clearly communicated to her, she's second. Or you're second. Or your second. Or your second. This is the model of Jesus. This is the big oh. The model of Jesus and the scriptures. Paul, Paul's gonna keep coming here. For Christ did not please himself, but as is written, Psalm 69:9, the repro- reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus didn't consider himself first. He considered me first and died for me. Where do I get off telling my wife to get off? Christ himself did not please himself. It's written, verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So here's the mantra that comes out of this pulpit often. What God requires He provides. So that which I need in order to obey this command, Paul says, is right there. He says it's right there. 15:4. Whatever's written in former days, this, this word was written for our instruction to do what? That through endurance, see, we have to endure. Christianity's not easy. And through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So if you're not in the Word, you're not getting the encouraging power that God has ordained for you. And so you, can, you tend to be hopeless. No word, no power. No word, no self-denial. No word, no encouragement. Get in the Word. A church in the Word will not be divided. And so Paul breaks into prayer. Verse 5. Just breaks into prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, see, there's your power, in accord with Him. He is for us. He's here among us right now holding this lampstand in his hand saying, model me and you'll be united. See, that's the point. If your eyes are locked on your radio station or your TV station or your website and not on Jesus, you'll divide. But when a church has its eyes on Jesus, am I right? If a church has its eyes on Jesus, I'll let you finish the sentence. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's Paul's agenda. Paul's agenda is saying it's not about you. He's calling for the harmony that God has already created. Why? So that God will be glorified. And when that is the calling card of any local assembly, you will know the joy for which you thirst. That's the irony. That you take your eyes off yourself and you focus on Christ. He is glorified and you're the happiest being on the planet. And what ends up happening is that we take our eyes off Jesus, and we seek for honor, and we seek for happiness, and we seek for joy and a thousand other things. And what happens? We splinter in a thousand ways. When right in front of us, he tells us, this is how you get in harmony. Therefore, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And don't miss it. Don't miss it. Welcoming one another, particularly those with opinions that differ from mine, is for the glory of God. Paul's going to really drop it right there. Paul's not talking about winning an agenda. Paul's not talking about getting the right person in office. Paul's not talking about any of this stuff. Paul's saying your unity, your division, it's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. I'm going to say it a third time. It's about the glory of God. All of our arguing, all of our debating, it's lost. That's why, I, in a walk last evening with my wife, I told her that this, this time through Revelation is absolutely wrecking me. It's wrecking me because there are two grave dangers that Revelation talks about. Persecution and seduction. We think that we're blessed because we're not being persecuted when all the while I wonder if the deceiver is just taking us the back way to the abyss through the power of seduction. Ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the question. Have we lost our way Have we been, are we being seduced? Which is why, as those around me have heard me say, and I get in trouble for this, annually there is a list that comes out, the most difficult places in the world to be a Christian. And the category criteria is where persecution is taking hold. China, North Korea, the Middle East, I want to be the guy who submits the same report to the churches and argues that America is one of the most difficult places in the world to be a Christian. Not because we're being persecuted, but because we're being seduced by a power that may be even more heinous than persecution. I submit it. I submit it to you for your contemplation. Now stop and think about this. Think about those with whom you differ in opinion in the body of Christ. They may be in this room, they may be on some, in some chat room on another side of the planet. Are you just shutting them down? Are you just canceling them? Because they don't get it. How can you begin to change today? I want to ask you, and I want to ask you this gently. How can you begin to change? If, you, if you're a Christian and you believe the Word of God and you accept how the Word of God calls you to change, what is the first step? The first step, that's all I'm asking for today, the first step to change, to become more like the model of Jesus, Caring less about our kingdom, our kingdom agendas, and more about God's kingdom agenda. What's the first step? What is the first step? The first step may very well be, wow, I need to go home and digest this because this is the first time I've heard it put out that way. And that's okay. That's a great place to start. For others who have heard something like this before, the question then is, okay, what's next? What's, what's my next step to grow in holiness? Because I don't have the time. But if you do, read 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy this afternoon, and watch how many times Paul talks about unity being tied to personal holiness. That's another whole set of sermons. A divided church hinders holiness. We must realize that the display of the glory of God to all the nations is in large part dependent on the unity of the body of Christ, of NDBC. Let me say it again. The display of the glory of God to all the nations is in large part dependent upon the unity of the body of Christ. Okay? Here's the proof. John 17, beginning in verse 20. I do not ask, this is Jesus, this is the Lord's prayer. I do not ask for these only, meaning his his disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. John 17, The glory that you have given me, I have given them. Ponder that. The glory that God gave to the Son, he's given to us. That they may be one even as we are one. 1723, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? Here it is. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I am entirely on secure ground when I tell you that the glory of God displayed to the nations is intimately tied to the harmony of the local church. That's the welcome command that has gone all the way back to Romans 14, 1. Here's the confirmation, and I promise you, it's shorter, and I'll wind it up. The confirmation occurs in 8 to 13. He shows that from the Scriptures how the command to welcome one another is confirmed. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, those are the Jews, to show God's truthfulness, and now here's the in order too. Why did he do this? In order to confirm, is the word, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. In other words... This that I'm preaching to you right now is all undergirded by the promises that God has made both to Jew and Gentile. This is a big thing. This is a big deal. This isn't me just pleading to get together and be nice. This isn't me pleading just to be missions-minded. Not only is the glory of God tied together with this, but the manifestation, the confirmation of the promise that God made to Abraham is at stake here. This is not, this is not five points on how to overcome your anger. This is the narrative that controls the world. And you're a part of it. And you're part of it. And it says, sure as the promise of God. What God is doing right now is carrying out the fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abraham. That his descendants would outnumber the sand on the seashores. It is breathtaking. It is breathtaking to think That little old New York Baptist Church in faraway Staten Island on the corner of Rose and Tenth has got a part in this grand story. He did it in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in verse 9, there's another, in order to, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The promise, even given to Abraham, was for the Jews and the Gentiles. And every Gentile in the room said, amen. And then he backs the truck up. Law, writings, Prophets. There's a litany of Old Testament quotations grounding his teaching. I won't take the time to rehearse them all. He quotes Deuteronomy, he quotes the Psalms twice, he quotes 2 Samuel, and he quotes Isaiah. The law, the writings, and the prophets. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the first church's entire Bible is all confirmation to this church, this multi-ethnic, diverse church in the first century, that they are the fruit of what God promised to Abraham. And I'll say the same thing to you today, in the spirit of the Apostle Paul, that you are the fruit of the promise that God made to Abraham. Are you feeling the weight of this? if you're feeling the weight of it, now you're beginning to feel how abhorrent division is to God, especially when the division is due to something that you can't even find in the Bible. He ends, as he often does, with praise and prayer. He does we do. Your, your interjections of amen, your, your excitement over some of the points that I've made is exactly the point. You, you, get, you get it. You're getting it. Paul praises and prays to help us see beyond ourselves to something much greater, much more glorious, so that we may abound in hope. It's the one thing As God is my witness, it is the one thing that has kept me going. True confession, in my near 30 years of being in ministry, I'm just barely now, I don't even know if this is accurate, just barely now coming out of what may have been the deepest season of discouragement that I've known as a pastor. And it's not just NDBC. It's much broader. I've been pierced to the point of tears as to how Satan has so radically got his toe, foot, half his body into the body of Christ and just ripped it apart. Those around me will tell you they've seen me weep at what it is that has divided the church of Jesus Christ. He's laughing. That hideous laugh you hear is Him. The one thing, the one thing that has kept me going is that I may abound. In hope that God is on his throne, that he keeps his word, and there's a promise that to this minute is still being fulfilled. I don't have that. Pardon the drama. I die. Because all of the assault of the world and the flesh and the devil. All of it. Give me all of it. You wrap me in the hope based on the promise of God, you can bring it. Because Christ reigns. And he will, he will see it fulfilled. Do you want to be part of it? Do you want to be part of it? Will you lay it down? Will you deny yourself so to be self-fulfilled? And will you be able to praise and pray with him? May the God of hope, he's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. May that God fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's Romans 15, 13. And that verse closes the longest section, all application of that glorious doctrine in the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound, abound in hope. I'm going to pray. We thank you for this amazing word, Father. We thank you for, we thank you for its weight. Uh, because... I confess to you I'm, I'm too used to disunity not not so much here but we're not we're not free from it but even in a larger scope it's why I've turned off my phone it's why I it's why I maintain such a low profile in social media I just couldn't do it anymore it was just too discouraging I couldn't turn on the TV. I couldn't open Twitter without watching brothers and sisters devour one another over things that had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I plead for your mercy, God, on this church and the churches, particularly in this country. And I ask that you would not take away our hope. That you would not take away our joy. That you would not take away our peace. That you would not take away our believing. That you would not take away our power in the Holy Spirit. We need hope. We need you. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need revival. In our hearts, in this church, on Staten Island, in this country pour it out. Pour it out. And don't ever let us be discouraged, because Jesus reigns. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.